This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. In a world focused on increased productivity and instant gratification, it's hard to imagine that business people have much time for meditation. But huge corporations including Google, Monsanto, Hearst, and National Grid have discovered the benefits of meditation at work. Meditation can lead to several business benefits, including improved teamwork, more effective decision-making, and lower levels of employee stress. In this interview with Knowledge at Wharton, Mirabai Bush, co-founder of the Center for Contemplative Mind in Society, speaks with Katherine Klein, Vice Dean of Wharton's Social Impact Initiative, about her experiences working with big corporations to teach employees about the benefits of contemplative thinking. So I'm, I'm interested in, I think we're broadly interested in the, you know, uh, businesses, organizations, nonprofit and for-profit, turning to contemplative practices, looking, thinking that there's something to find for meditation, yeah. in meditation for them. So I, I think that's a broad thing we want to explore, but I thought we'd start with, the challenge many people experience in even those who think, yes, this is for me and this is really helpful in fitting it in. You know, like, oh my God, I'm too busy to breathe. I'm, you know, I'm too busy to meditate. I'm yeah. too busy to breathe. <laughs> I'm just too busy. Yeah. Uh, well, every, pretty much everybody does think that. And, um, you know, sometimes we say it's like you don't, um, you're not too busy to brush your teeth or to eat breakfast, you know, that, that there's a way in which once uh, you experience, um, we'll, we'll call it mindfulness as a, as a kind of umbrella word for meditation and some other practices, that um, once you experience it and you begin to experience its benefits, then um, you can incorporate it into your life in that same way. And it's important, I think, not to think of it as a big deal, but rather uh, even a short practice each day really makes a big difference. I mean, you've seen all the research, I'm sure, on uh, the various benefits from, you know, stress reduction to uh, various health benefits and uh, as well as cognitive uh, benefits, including increase in attention and creativity and so on. So once you, um, once you begin to practice, um, I will never say that it's easy to uh, stay regular every day, but you can begin to think of it as just part of your life, one of the things that you do. And then there are some, um, there are some ways in which to um, make it a little bit easier. Um, one is to, as I said, keep it really simple. Recognize that brief practice is fine. Um, often, if you say, okay, I'm just going to sit for five or ten minutes and uh, I'm just going to watch my breath, or even a couple of minutes, you know, if you, um, I'm just going to bring my awareness to my breath, uh, let go of everything else for a few minutes, um, bring that kind of non-judgmental presence uh, to this moment and just breathe in and out for a few minutes. Um, often what happens is you, is you breathe in and out for a few more minutes than you originally planned because once you remember 
how calming and quieting it is, um, then you forget the reasons why you told yourself you couldn't do it. Right, so, right, right. <laughs> so, and, yeah, go ahead. And when you think of these um, contemplative practices of meditation, I mean, what the, you've just emphasized meditation, I think mostly. I'm curious about are there other practices that you think are... Um, that people might also practice on a daily basis to kind of, you know, like you can, if you can't squeeze in, yeah, you know, hours of meditation or a, a week-long retreat, other things that you see people squeezing into their, day, their days that are yep. that are also beneficial. I like squeezing. It's the way it feels often. Um, well, uh, you, I think you've seen on, on the Contemplative Mind website, the Tree of Contemplative Practices. There, yes. Um, we, we designed that tree after talking to people in 80 different organizations that had incorporated some contemplative practices into their work. They're not all businesses. In fact, we did it some years ago, and so most of them weren't businesses. They were nonprofit organizations and, and educational organizations, some businesses. Uh, law firms, the, the whole range. But So we simply um, asked them what if they were doing any contemplative practices to calm and quiet the mind and uh, increase um, awareness. And um, they gave us this long list of th- different things people were doing. I think um, for uh, in the workplace, um, well, Mindful walking is a good thing when you're walking from place to place instead of sitting at your desk and closing your eyes and and watching your breath, although you don't have to close your eyes. Um, Walking from place to place, which we are naturally doing, you can bring your awareness to um, the sensation of walking or you can use a single word to keep you focused as you're walking. And um, we once, at the center, we once taught mindful walking to um, environmental canvassers. I think it was Math Perg. They were walking from house to house. And in between their appeals to people, they were just paying attention to their walking and letting go of all other uh, thoughts. And um, they reported back that they were much more effective because when they got to where they were going, they were fully present in that moment with whoever opened the door. So walking's a great one. Um, um, maybe not so much in the workplace, but um, recently we've been uh, uh, looking a lot at a practice of looking at um, at <laughs> stop uh, a practice of looking. So uh, it's people do it in museums or um, with um, books of artwork, just um, bringing mindful looking or what's sometimes called beholding, just hmm. to whatever is in front of you. Of course, right. you can also do that in nature um, or, or wherever you are, just um, looking at what's there and letting go of all other thoughts uh, opinions and prejudgments about what's there, and just bringing your mind back over and over to what it is you're looking at. Yeah, interesting. I'm struck as you as you speak um, by the challenges of you know our cell phones and iPhones yeah. and our connect. You know, so 
I, I could wait, just wait for the bus, but I'm much more, or, you know, wait in line at the grocery yeah. store or wait. But I never, you know, when, when do we just wait? We automatically pull out our, our cell phone. You know, you, you know I, years ago, I lived in India for a couple of years, and, uh, and that was where I first learned these various practices. I lived in a monastery for a while and studied with some teachers. And But I still remember we were always... In India, you know, there are lots of lines, the queue. And so we were young Westerners, and we were always impatient, you know. So we were waiting in line for whatever, to mail a letter or to pick up mail or, you know. And um, I remember one one day we were complaining, and, and one teacher said to us, waiting is being. <laughs> <laughs> and I... I still think of it so often in those situations. Yeah, so it's not, we all do that. We check on, um, you know, our mail or Facebook or whatever while we're waiting. But uh, it's possible while waiting to um, use that as a way to uh, just calm and quiet the mind, stabilize the mind, uh, which also, of course, calms and quiets all our our physical systems as well. And even a few moments of that um, really helps us feel better and be more present in the moment. So, yeah. so can, you, um, can you talk with us about the kinds of benefits uh, you're seeing in the workplace yeah. when people engage in mindfulness or contemplative practices? How might this... So one one clear benefit is, as individuals, they feel better. They feel yeah. somewhat less you know they're less stressed at the end of the day. They may sleep better. Um, yeah. Um, well, there's a whole range. I think maybe I'll tell you um, about some experiences. Different um, different companies perceive. Their need, they have different needs and perceive their needs differently. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I don't know if Meng told you the story about Google, but at Google, he wanted to bring um, meditation into Google, obviously. And uh, he started by offering mindfulness-based stress reduction. Did he tell you this story? I don't. I don't remember. I don't think and, so. Um, so he just posted it, and that's been the most popular. Um, uh, meditation offering in in business and organizations. So, and and at Google, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, lots of different opportunities are being offered all the time. Um, and he just assumed that lots of people would sign up for it. So he posted it, and uh, nobody signed up. And he was so disappointed, and he he um, wasn't sure what to do next. So uh, someone encouraged him to call me because uh, I had worked in different contexts and so I went out there and we looked at who was there and um, I mean of course he already knew but <laughs> but we looked at them in a different way and recognized that you know they're they're pretty much uh, very young very smart competitive they've come from the top of their class at uh, at the best universities mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and mostly have been in front of their screens most of their lives because they're young. And um, so they all, uh, they were all really good at algorithms, but they had, um, what they really needed was um, better self-awareness 
and better awareness of others. And although they're great in front of their screens, they most of what they're doing is in teams, and uh, they they needed help in relating to each other. And also, they have um, it's about Google's about one third Chinese, one third Indian, and one third everybody else. So there are cultural misunderstandings. So they needed mm-hmm. better um, better ways to become aware of other people. So we. Um, we recognize that that not only did they need that, but they would know that they needed that. And so we engaged Danny Goleman, uh, uh, who, as you know, I'm sure, wrote Emotional Intelligence. And um, we developed, we used pretty much the same practices that are being offered in mindfulness-based stress reduction, but we emphasized um, interactive pro- uh, practices. And we um, re reframed it as mindfulness-based emotional intelligence. And in the first four hours, 140 people signed up. So um, so there, um, when, when they report what changes have happened, they, most of those changes uh, have to do with their communication with others. You know, we taught them mindful emailing. Their... Um, their ability to uh, deal with negative emotions better, um, their uh, their ability just in general to uh, communicate and work together in teams. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. At, uh, so, what would be, so intrigued by the uh, they're, they're dealing with negative emotions because obviously this can be uh-huh. a challenge for for people yeah. and and uh, you know we 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 know from research that that's in fact research done at Wharton and elsewhere that it's contagious uh-huh. as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Maybe an example of that would be very interesting. Disease. Yeah. Um, well, we um, we do a practice there on um, dealing with strong emotions. I think it's in I think it's in uh, Meng's book. Um, but we started with um, anger and just uh, asking people to uh, remember a time when they were angry and allow that anger to arise in them. And then um, the the practice is to be mindful of the sensations in the body as uh, as negative emotions arise, and then uh, pause, first notice, then pause, then um, recognize that it's arising and that you have um, various responses to that, not letting the anger drive you, but rather having um, awareness of the anger and then looking at what your options for or your choices for um, for response are. Um, and when we ask them in the beginning to pause and we ask them to take a few um, deep breaths uh, before noticing the sensations in their body. And then, so just that um, little exercise really helps people not just react immediately to what's arising. Mm-hmm. Um, and they report that it's really been helpful in terms of uh, their, you know, relationship so interesting. with others. And yeah. are there, uh, we, we've heard about Google. I wonder if you have examples of yeah. other companies you've worked with or other organizations yeah. that you can take us to. You know, it's, it's we can... Well, you know, it's, we, yeah. it, it's easy. It might be easy to think about Google and say, "Well, yeah, they're engineers and all that," I but know, you know, but they yeah. are in California. Exactly. Uh, well, we we did a, a a program 
short program, but with National Grid, they're our electric company here, <laughs> and um, uh, they were bringing all their diversity officers in the Northeast region together, and um, they wanted um, they wanted to do something that would help them uh, appreciate diversity more, even among themselves. Um, so we did, they asked us to do a day-long program, and, and they did things like they all brought foods from their, uh, from their family traditions. And, uh, and then we did some um, mindfulness practice, too, uh, which is always good at the beginning to just get people to be calmer and quieter and more stable and uh, arrive in the room. And... Um, with them, we did a practice. Um, well, I think this is also in, in Meng's book. What now we call it "Just Like Me," but um, this was kind of this was one of the first times that um, I did this practice with a, a, a business group, and they were about as kind of mainstream and corporate, you know, as it gets. And um, so we had them stand in two lines, um, facing you faced a partner across from you. And um, then led this practice where, um, and it was interesting because I thought, oh, this this is too risky, this practice. But the person I was um, uh, working with that day was the, um, he was the director of our youth program uh, at the center then. And um, so m most of the youth he worked with were uh, inner city uh, youth of color, and he he had that same background, and um, and he, he'd also done a lot of meditation practice, and uh, so he led it, and so he had. I was afraid that they might think this this particular practice was kind of new age, but because he was leading it, it had it was a, it had a kind of gritty quality to it, and um, so. Uh, in the practice, you look at the person across from you, and you begin by um, uh, the lead, the person who's guiding it um, says various phrases, and then you repeat them silently to yourself as you're looking in the eyes of the other person. And they are, you know, this person, this is a human being with thoughts and emotions just like me. And then it goes on to say, this person has... Um, been sad in his life, just like me. This person has done things he regrets, just like me. And then it goes through a, a range of things that uh, this person wants to be loved, just like me. And <laughs> well, by the end of it, I was I was doing it with, um, and the person across from me was a, a kind of regional manager from Buffalo. And um, a, uh, a kind of, he was wearing a suit and tie. He was uh, a kind of white working class buffalo guy. And um, he, <laughs> when, when the practice was over, um, it was so touching that <laughs> I just, I thought we, we, were, we were instructed to thank each other in any way possible. And I thought, Oh my God! I'm gonna to have to stay with this person forever. I'm in love with him. <laughs> I'm never gonna be able to leave him. 
really powerful. And yeah. so now we do that um, in uh, with lots of different kinds of groups. I I did it last week with a group of university professors, and um, it's very powerful, and it's really important, uh, essential compassion, and which is so helpful when you're working with people who who uh, are difficult. And uh, you can do that, once you do that practice uh, in that kind of setting with someone, you can then do it silently to yourself uh, before you go into a meeting, you know, or as you're, as you're listening to someone who you're having a hard time with, this person, <laughs> this person wants to be happy just like me, right, you know, right, right. So, yeah, um, very powerful. So, uh, yeah, so then um, at... Um, at Monsanto, which we, we worked with Monsanto, um, well, it was years ago now. We started, I think, in 97 or 8. And um, it was just when they uh, had a new CEO and they were making their shift toward um, agriculture. Bob Shapiro was their new director, and um, he was a really a very... Uh, creative thinker himself and he had just inherited this hundred year old chemical company and he wanted to see what kinds of uh, what they ought to be doing for the future um, I'm reserving judgment on on their decision <laughs> but, um, but uh, so he was interested in uh, creativity for his top executives and um, uh, he had read a book on Zen and thought that might be interesting. And uh, he had he knew uh, the person who was chairman of the board of the Center for Contemplative Mind. They'd known each other f- from school. And um, so he invited us in to do a retreat for the top 18 executives. And um, uh, that was, we did a three, uh, uh, four-day, three-night, silent retreat off-site. Wow. Where, yeah, where they just, this is when we were just starting out. We didn't really know any better. I mean, we thought, well, this is the way meditation is taught, so uh, this is the way we will teach you. <laughs> uh, now, I mean, I can't imagine, I can, I can only imagine a few, um, you know, corporate groups committing to that. But, um, but Bob was a real risk taker, so, um, and it was very powerful. Um, and um, after that, um, we, for several years, we did off-site retreats and on-site day-long practice. They put meditation rooms in um, many of their buildings. Um, uh, we did many different practices with them. And I just um, had, I just pulled out two quotes that I had used in a, in a paper. It says, um, this was from a, a vice president of organizational management development. She said, um, and this is, you know, usually um, the reason that somebody inside the organization thinks that it would be good to introduce mindfulness is they usually have a, um, you know, an intention, um, but the results aren't always directly at exactly what the original goals were. So here it says, 
The most noticeable change in the largest group, which included scientists and some of the foundation team, was a shift from cynicism to hope. When people talk about what happened to them or how it's changed them, they talk about how they went from being negative, pessimistic, and cynical to being hopeful, being more centered. There's another quote from a project coordinator who said, Mindfulness helps clear all the chatter that goes on constantly in your head, and you begin to find out what's real for you in your life. What makes this program so great is that it can affect long-term evolution in individuals, and therefore in the organization. It's provided more purpose and meaning to what I'm doing at work. That's great. Yeah. And so when I when I think about meditation and I think about you know most of the programs I've read about or things I've experienced myself, most of that um, has been yeah, pretty individually focused. It's not yeah. teams of people coming together to to uh, you know to yeah. So there's some interaction, but it's not an intact unit. Um, and, and some of what you've described there are intact units. Um, I, I'd love to know more about maybe the possibilities or, or the limitations that go on. You know, if you, if you, when, when would you ideally hope that, you know, if, if you hear about an orga- organizational issues, when is it that you think, God, I would just love to get that team in here to work together and to use these techniques? Or are you thinking, you know, it's, we need to get those individuals one at a time whenever they can and yeah. it's not so team-focused? Well, um, yeah, either or both. I mean, uh, but the even when the practices are individually focused, so if if what the focus is, at for example, at at Hearst, at Marie Claire, we uh, it was um, they were stressed. You know, it's young women in New York, very competitive world, uh, working against deadlines all the time. So they were all stressed. And um, so basically that was um, a, a program of individual learning, uh, learning mindfulness meditation, learning to be less stressed, calmer. Um, and, um, and then from there, learning to uh, look a little at the nature of their minds so that they have some insight into how they're behaving. Um, but and so it was very individually focused. But they did it as a group. They came mm-hmm. together once a week and and uh, for two hours and and uh, were led and practiced by someone. And um, but even though we didn't really emphasize that, it people appreciated each other more. They felt more bonded because they had gone through something together as they went through their own um, practice which creates, you know, it's a certain vulnerability being willing to look at your mind and body in, uh, and with all that's there um, and letting go of what you are kind of pretending to be and just looking mm-hmm. at what's really there. Um, that, is, that, is, that creates a certain kind of vulnerability often in the workplace. And it's... it's inner vulnerability. I mean, it doesn't have to be expressed externally, but being there and being going through that process with other people and knowing that they're doing the same thing often, um, you know, builds an appreciation and, and a bonding with other people. 
interesting. There are, um, but then there are ways to work with teams, or even at at Google, we it, it, we didn't. I'm trying to think if I'm not sure if at this point they have worked with a designated team, but um, it was people from different parts of the organization, usually for each <laughs> course. Um, but we work together like we do um, the mindful listening together, mm-hmm. and um, so it would be in couples. You know, they'd lift, they'd speak, and listen to each other mindfully by letting go of of um, other thoughts and emotions as you're listening to the listeners in silence, listening to the speaker um, express something. But uh, then we'd sit in the full circle. Um, after we did it in pairs and then talk about the experience of being listened to that way and the experience of listening. And then people will talk about how usually they don't listen that way and they hadn't realized before that um, uh, that there was so much judgment going on when they were listening and so on. Um, and so that, um, that also gives an appreciation for how these practices can affect a group process, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course, right. some people do bring the specific group together and um, and then work on, um, on interactive um, practices like listening. So you, you mentioned the, the very positive uh, benefits that uh, individuals and groups get. Uh, yeah. Through mindful, uh, mi- uh, through uh, mindfulness and uh, contemplative practice, but I wonder if you have seen um, whether that leads them to make different decisions as a company. Yeah, that's um, the big, big question. Of course, Monsanto is a great, um, you know, a case study for that. Um, well, during that time, well, just stepping back. We, you know, did. It was not our. Um, it was not our role to, you know, encourage change in the product mix or anything. Although it was really interesting because this was just at the time when there was. Um, we were. We worked with them for four years, and so during that time, uh, they was when they really became involved in in uh, genetically modified foods, and so the environmental movement was at the same time revving up in response to that. And we were at the same time working with the Green Group, who were the CEOs of the National Environmental Organizations, uh, Sierra Club and NRDC and Wilderness Society and so on. <laughs> it was it was the most, um, I guess, well, interesting <laughs> experience because they were, they were, self-identified as on two radical sides of um, radically opposed positions in this. Um, but our job was was not to take a position on that, but just to teach them these practices so that they could begin to, uh, first by um, questioning within, uh, we were doing mindfulness leading toward insight practice of a practice of inquiry, which really reveals um, for people their um, personal uh, values and often 
um, they'll begin to look at the connection or or lack of connection between personal and corporate values. Um, and so that was going on inside Monsanto. Um, and it it led to, to some things that were pretty interesting. Um, at one point, uh, Rockefeller Foundation was leading some of the um, uh, the research and the resistance to the development of uh, genetically modified foods. And um, the inside Monsanto people, they really believed at that point that they were, um, they had studied the, um, this is a long answer to your question, but it's so complicated, you know. They they were studying um, the um, uh, predictions for population for the next century. And they really felt that they were going to contribute to um, increasing yields and feeding the world for the 21st century. Um, and they were so pretty convinced of that. It was very hard for them to entertain that what they were doing wasn't a good thing. Um, after a while, they were getting so much resistance that um, Bob saw that um, that a, a good thing to do would, would not be to invite in um, people who were absolutely convinced that Mon everything Monsanto was doing was wrong, but rather he invited in the um, the, uh, I guess he was president of Rockefeller, um, who, as I said, was doing research and leading resistance to this, to their board meeting. And um, they um, had a long discussion at their board meeting, uh, which led to, um, it obviously didn't lead to the end of, of, of their commitment to uh, genetically modified foods, but at the time that it led them to do the um, to let go of some of their uh, what Rockefeller considered their worst practices, and um, they did it by a discussion of um, of how he he convinced them that um, if they I'm trying to remember if they didn't let go of this one, which was I think that was the what was labeled Terminator technology, uh, if they didn't let go of their worst um, product, that um, that everything that they were doing, as, as I remember him saying, would be tarred with the same brush. And um, so he convinced them that it was to their own advantage to let go of what he considered their uh, the, the worst product. So what, what I saw was that they were, oh, they became more open to listening to, um, you know, uh, to opposing arguments or, or one could say different perspectives on, on what they were doing in a way that um, I saw a real movement toward that um, while I was there. They introduced and they knew that they had to begin within the company to um, be, uh, to integrate uh, these resistances, and so they brought in people who taught them practices of dialogue, um, which was at the time for them radical and open. So, um, so yeah, I did. I saw changes. I'm, 
unfortunately for us, what ha- what happened, and this is um, uh, why we didn't do um, another corporate program right after that, was that when when Bob stepped down as CEO, um, somebody else came in, and as I'm sure you are well aware, when he came in, anything that had to do personally with the former CEO, he got rid of immediately. And this whole program was was definitely a signature program of Bob's. And uh, so he got rid of it, and every you know it all stopped. And even though I felt like we'd had a, a really good influence on people who were there, and I still see people from all these years later uh, who said that, you know, personally it really uh, changed them and that they took those benefits wherever they went in the corporate world. But um, uh, I saw that that was, uh, that often happened. So we, after that, decided to rethink how we would um, put our energy out into the corporate world. And so we did really a number of smaller um, uh, programs after that. Um, and it wasn't until Google where I really felt like there was an opportunity to um, do a, you know, a company-wide program that really could uh, um, have a big effect, which I think it is doing. Sorry, that was so long. I just no, no, th- thank you for that. A, That's, it's such a weighted topic. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> th- thank you for that. I appreciate it. So, early in the interview, I I, I jotted down the words uh, that that you had said. Um, you said something about non-judgmental presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the one hand, I totally get that. I, you know, and and and. I think the, the notion of non-judgmental presence is probably you know, is closely linked to listening. If I'm if I'm really listening, um, I, I need to I need to be non-judgmental and present. Uh, it, it's linked to compassion, um, and 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 the only but or and yet that is uh, that I'm that I'm experiences experiencing is. But wait a minute, business is all about. You know, making making judgments, making decisions, mm-hmm. and we need to be. Um, and indeed, some of your examples have, 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 you know, essentially brought up issues of principle, moral value, judgments, and, and guiding our decision making. So I'm I'm struck by that duality of yeah. of non judgment and judgment. Yeah, and I don't. So that's I a, you know, so I imagine dissertations could be written, and probably exactly. have been written on this. <laughs> um, it, it is. A, it is a, it's the hardest thing to grasp, I think. But really, what it it means is uh, the. It's also philosophical. The present mm. moment is here. It's here in front of us, and um, so it is what it is. As I say. So the important thing in uh, mindfulness is to see the present moment as it is and not to bring prejudgment to it. So um, one of the most interesting uh, examples of this was we've worked a lot with lawyers, and so um, a group of judges asked us to do a special workshop on, you know, on mindfulness and emphasizing on not the... uh, uh, non-judging awareness, um, because they said that when um, people 
arrive in front of the bench, they find that their minds uh, leap to judgment uh, when they they often don't see the person and the case as it is, but they bring to, they bring to that person um, the stories and of of many other people who happen to look like that person, uh, and they know that they shouldn't be doing that. So it's about um, it's about in business. It's about like seeing the situation as it is. Lots of times we know the worst decisions are made because we are assuming that the present is in certain ways like the past, when in fact it's uh, offering us a whole new, fresh possibility. Mm-hmm. So it's and it doesn't mean that we don't make judgments, choices, decisions. It's actually about making better choices um, by seeing what's actually there. Um, uh, Activists, uh, social justice activists we work with, they they have a hard time with that. They think, I'm looking at it and, you know, and the situation is unjust. It's terrible. It's got to be changed. And certainly in business, there'd be lots of situations where you think, that has to be changed. Um, it's not about not making change. It's about seeing what's there and then making clear, uh, intelligent, well-informed choice. What we say, um, it's giving up prejudgment for discerning wisdom, for right. seeing what's there and then, uh, uh, and then making a full-hearted uh, choice to change whatever it is, but um, doing it with the best information. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. That's great. That's very helpful. Thank you. Great. So, Another thing I, that is important to this and maybe easier for people to think about than the, the complex situation of Monsanto, but is the whole um, issue of distraction and and how it's increasing all the time with uh, with all the um, advances in, in, in electronic information and um, how uh, mindfulness practices are really, I mean, well, one of the most measurable effects, and so uh, one of the things we know most about it is that it really increases attention and um, it, it takes us beyond distraction, and I'm sure there must be lots of studies in business showing that distraction is um, not only uh, it keeps us from being productive, but I think uh, leads us to not look deeply at situations, to make uh, to stay with the superficial because we we can't get ourselves focused enough in order mm-hmm. to pay attention to what really matters, and therefore we make you know, not very good decisions for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, um, I think we have uh, sort of exceeded our time a little bit, but uh, Mirabai, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.